Hi all, Elise here. Uh, my sister Karen and brother-in-law Dan are currently visiting from the UK, and somehow it came up that there was this song called Star Trekking by The Firm that Dan knew because it had like dance moves and it would be played at children's birthday parties or holiday camp. And he sang it to me and I was like, I've literally never heard this in my life, so I am insisting that he sing it for all of us. I'm sure he appreciates that. Anyway, here we go. Right, so I only remember bits of it, but I'm going to do my best. So, star trekking across the universe. On the Starship Enterprise under Captain Kirk. Star trekking across the universe. Boldly going forward because we can't find reverse. It's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. It's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Captain. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, Jim. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, men. It's worse than that, he's dead, Jim, dead, Jim, dead, Jim. It's worse than that, he's dead, Jim, dead, Jim, dead. Star trekking across the universe on the Starship Enterprise under Captain Kirk. Star trekking across the universe, boldly going forwards, and things are getting worse. You can't change the laws of physics, laws of physics, laws of physics. You can't change the laws of physics, laws of physics, Jim. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. We come in peace, shoot to kill. Scotty, beam me up. <laughs> It's it's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. It's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead. Well, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it, Jim. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, Jim. Star trekking across the universe on the Starship Enterprise under Captain Kirk. Star trekking across the universe, boldly going forward. We still can't find reverse. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Rates, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2, The Way of the Warrior, teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by James L. Conway. This episode aired on October 2nd, 1995. More on that later. We're saying episodes one and two, but it only aired on a single day. So is it one episode? Is it two? Much to consider. Also, I'm going to just like 
say a lot of things about myself. I just had a flashback because October 1995 is when I got my period for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we don't need more on that later. The way of the warrior indeed. This week on Deep Space Nine, when a Klingon fleet under General Martok arrives at the station, ostensibly to protect the Alpha Quadrant from the Dominion, Sisko recruits Lieutenant Commander Worf to discover the Klingons' true intentions. Is that really true? Like, I mean, wasn't he promoted within the episode? <laughs> no, 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 no. So he was promoted at the like start of the 24th century, like after the credits in Star Trek Generations, because they're still oh, in the Enterprise D. They're all doing it. the ceremony on the holodeck in that naval ship. Right. Because like the, okay. the prologue or the teasers, the Enterprise B, Kirk dying stuff. So what happens at the end of this episode is he doesn't, he transfers from operations like the gold security engineering like section to command when he stays on the station and becomes the strategic operations officer. So his rank stays the same. It's just his division changes. Okay. Which like, I have a feeling we would have gotten into. I just got confused. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause in, in Star Trek generations, the first, um, next gen movie Worf gets promoted and he gets a chair this week we're joined by a co-host of wild pretty things our editor and friend of the pod melissa welcome melissa hello thank you for having me i was like very excited to have you today I know it's been a long time. I'm still. I don't know why I said was. Like, it was like past <laughs> I'm not. I'm not excited. I didn't even anymore. catch that. Wow. wow. I was excited, and then he got here, and I'm like, oh, I was excited. You have a <laughs> birthday, and people I, just lose interest in hanging out with you. <laughs> I want to, uh, on behalf of the pod race, apologize for how we credited you, as. Um, the Wild Pretty Things account credited in the birthday message yesterday. You're the co-host, co-producer, and co-founder. Oh, well, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm not apologizing. Your apology is... Your non-apology is accepted. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I accept that you do not um, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, we have not heard from you on the pod since the season one finale. So I was like, it's time to have her back to see how she's feeling about Deep Space Nine in general. Oh, I love it. It's so great. And also, I got to restart season four to do this podcast because I am ahead of you guys on my little Deep Space Nine personal watch now. And so later, someone gets to ask me if I remember this episode from the first time I watched it. You're like a season ahead of us, aren't you? About, yeah. I actually, um, we got really close. We have one episode left of season four. Right. So I just forestalled watching the finale by going back to the first episode of the season, which is fitting because I liked all of the episodes. Well, you know, some more than others. I There's nothing, there's right. been no f- like phase of watching Deep Space Nine where I haven't been enjoying the episode, but I feel like season four just has like banger after banger episodes. Yeah. Well, when, Every week it's like, man, this episode's this. great. <laughs> Yeah, when you start with this and then your follow-up episode to this or your next episode is The Visitor, it's like, yeah, you're uh, you're coming out of the gate. Like, this is running. good TV. Good TV, folks. Thank you, 1995. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, my period. Um, 
<laughs> See, now we have what. to leave that that section in because you've referenced it twice. Yeah, just it's to fine. Be clear. <laughs> I have faith in Melissa. Um, so, Melissa, do you faith. remember this episode? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume you like remember that Worf like came on. I but, know yeah. that in season four, Worf is there. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if I would have so remembered much. specifically that he showed up in the in the premiere. I don't even think I would have remembered specifically that this was a long episode. Although I watched these with um, a, a friend of ours, another Matt. Apologies, current Matt. Um, <laughs> and I was I remember being like, oh, like long TV time for Monday night. OK, here we go. An hour and a half. <laughs> well, and then I guess that's a good place to then like. I have a couple follow-up questions but like the first one being either when you watched it the first time or when you watched it rewatched it in addition to this podcast how did you watch it um because the season premiere initially aired as a single like two hour long so it's like 90 minutes long to watch it without commercials feature length episode the second of which ds9 had done the first one being the opening pilot emissary and then the third and final one being the season seven finale that that ended the series however in repeat showings when they syndicated it the episode was cut into two into a two-parter more traditional star trek two-parter and then a couple different scenes were cut from the edited from the edited version the non-movie version the two-part episode version so Melissa, do you remember how you watched it originally or how, how did you watch it this time? I really don't. I watched it this time on Paramount Plus where it's just listed as the one, um, you know, 95 minute okay. episode. Yeah, that's the that that's how it originally aired. Elise, what about you? Because I, I understand there was uh, some confusion when you're watching it <laughs> with your Star Trek viewing friend. Yeah, so the first time I watched this episode was likely on Netflix when yeah, it was me too. on there. And I do not recall if this was a two-parter on Netflix or a 90-minute movie. But I have the whole series on iTunes or, you know, VOD or whatever. And iTunes Apple TV has it as two 45-ish minute episodes. So AJ and I were watching it together and like clearly we were not at the same scene because we were texting about what happened and like we were 10 minutes in and like it was not matching up. So we realized I, I wasn't seeing specific scenes that he was. And so we paused and I went and just opened Paramount Plus and like kind of caught up really quick to the scenes I hadn't watched. And then we watched the 90 minute movie instead. So I was a little disappointed that Apple, iTunes, whatever has the edited version because there are scenes that were not either. Let me there's two things. There's scenes that are missing and there are scenes that are in the movie that are later in the two-parter interesting yeah i think the scene where bashir and o'brien are eating at quarks at the beginning is in the second part of the edited version they're not like gone it's not gone completely it's just like in a different spot oh that's interesting because memory alpha says it's gone completely i feel like it might i think that 
I don't remember how I know this because once I switched, I don't think I went back to the two-parter one, but it might have been be- based on the still that was used on Apple mm. TV. Like they mm. have like a still from the episode and I don't know if I got it from that, which obviously that could be wrong. Yeah, I watched the the feature length, but I had to dust off my uh, DVD set hmm. to put it in because where I normally stream it, if I'm streaming it too lazy to, to grab the DVDs, it's on Crave, which is one of our, our streaming services here. It's the one that we get um, all of the new Star Trek shows on as well. But mm. that was as the, the two-parter, so I wanted to watch it as the as God originally intended. <laughs> the, the feature, <laughs> we all the full, know God made length. Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah, right? So... And then I guess to Melissa, the other follow-up question that I had for you is in context of the universe and the time when when this episode aired, um, it was kind of a big deal that they were adding another major character from Next Generation to the to the cast to become a, a series regular on the new show. Uh, O'Brien had been on on TNG but was very much like a elevated background actor mm-hmm. like more or less who so then they kept they kept around and then you know gave the character a name and and more lines and whatever um but this had you know more more kind of major shockwaves even to the point that like it was i think an in, a challenging situation below the surface for the existing cast of ds9 bringing on michael dorner's war from you know the other show and it's like oh is this gonna turn into the wharf show or you know just upsetting the the chemistry and the balance and i mean thankfully it didn't and they sorted it out but Melissa, you haven't watched a lot of Next Gen, correct? Right, none. Yeah. So then, send so I imagine like Worf coming on and joining. It's not the like, oh my god, it's Worf. It's like, oh, cool. This guy's named Worf. What's what's gonna happen? Would that be a fair assessment? Um. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I knew that people were excited about him showing up. Honestly, like this is a spoiler for some, you know, the later portion of the podcast but this kind of felt like the most star trek thing to me even though that's not really the spirit of the question at the end of your podcast but i came (laughs) into star trek knowing that this was a huge expansive extended universe and deep space sign is just one of many potential entry points so feeling that extended universe like kind of tying into my deep space nine i've been watching like really felt um like what i thought star trek would be like <laughs> which is a, like oh yeah. there's no, that's interesting. this is referencing episodes of like another show that is available that i could go watch this is an established character in an extended universe this you know this is where i really started feeling like okay so now i watch tng sometime <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. maybe i'm not gonna get away with just deep space nine <laughs> anymore <laughs> yeah they do have a couple comments specifically from gauron throughout the episode of like things that had happened in tng but i uh, i the first time i watched this episode i had not seen tng except for the movies so like i didn't see any of that prior and it didn't i don't think it makes it feel like for me, it didn't make me feel like I was, like, super missing out. Oh, yeah. I didn't stuff. feel like I was missing something, but it was just like, oh, this is part of a much bigger piece. Right. That a lot of Deep Space Nine doesn't always feel like that, at least for me, because if they're referencing stuff, I don't always know. But, like, when they name drop a card, I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know sure. that's a guy. 
<laughs> may or may not have a series that's currently right on paramount plus i know that's a guy who's just very funny to me <laughs> i did feel like this episode is like really related to the, the new season of picard i don't want to like get into that too much because it could spoil things but i have um... heard things about the current season of picard i'm not very precious about spoilers right uh, just generally yeah, hanging no, I out online worried. in star trek areas <laughs> Wasn't worried about spoiling you so okay, much as like good. people that listen. <laughs> right. <laughs> also, at least you have in the notes. Um, there's a new uh, new intro this season. Mm-hmm. Um, does I can't remember. Does the theme song get up tempoed after this now, or is that I season think three? So. Yeah, it's like the I think it version. is a little bit different. Um, yeah. But you forgot to ask me a question. Oh! 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 My goodness! How dare. Elise, did you remember mm-hmm. this episode? So um, I knew my boyfriend Worf was joining the cast um, but <laughs> in this episode, but I had forgotten what actually happened. Like, I didn't remember what, like, why they called him up, you know. Uh, I did remember a couple things from this episode, namely Kira and Jadzia being in their, like, hollow suite appropriate costumes. Um I didn't remember that they, like, met Worf for the first time while in costume, which to me is very funny because Worf is so serious. Um, And normally Kira is too, so it was just funny to, like, see her, like, off guard a little bit. And I will never forget the world-famous Gowron quote, history is written by the victors. (laughs) But I did not recall that that was from this episode. So, kind of is I guess my answer. There's a lot of um politicking in this episode, which sometimes I do find a little bit difficult to follow. Although I could definitely feel that I had seen this episode before because I was like, oh yeah, that thing. Oh yeah, that thing. Not like I have no idea what's going on. I'll wait till the end of the episode <laughs> for them to like well, explain to me where we where we land. <laughs> well and even as far as like kind of the political machinations and like there I mean there are story reasons for this but like in terms of what's going on or not going on on like Cardassian whether the central command is overthrown and you know that the civilian council is in power isn't in power are they changelings aren't they changelings which is the whole like Klingon precursor or excuse for you know invasion um the weapons of mass destruction before they are weapons of mass destruction um but it, it's it's a lot of telling and not showing like it and if we had like it might have been easier to follow the Cardassian political situation if we had had a perspective like and a character on Cardassia at the time like seeing that but like again it's supposed to be we don't know what's going on they've closed their borders is it real isn't it real like do we support the Klingons don't we like I that's where I think the drama is supposed to come from but yeah I can it's it's a lot kind of all at once right yeah I do, I do like how this episode really sets up, I mean, I don't fully remember exactly, like, what happens this season, but I do feel like this is a good um, start where it explains how um, our friends on Deep Space Nine are taking the Dominion threat seriously, they're doing drills to try to figure out what happens if another changeling gets on, on the station, um, the blood tests that everyone's doing feels 
super gross to me, but I guess I, like, get it in story. <laughs> um, but that's the part that kind of reminds me of, like, the new season of Picard um, for, for reasons. Um, namely, and this is a spoiler, so if you're sensitive about that with Picard, um, skip a couple seconds. But, like, that test doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so it was funny to, like, go back and see this is, like, the the test they're using to decide if someone's a changeling or not. We also get to see where our characters are. You know, like, Avery Brooks is gets to finally have the a shaved head, which is exciting. Look like yeah. Avery Brooks, yeah. Avery Brooks gets to look like Avery Brooks, which is really exciting. Um, this is the Cisco that I know and love. He looks like himself. He looks weird to me with hair and without a, a goatee, so... I feel like, you know, one of my space daddies is back. <laughs> um, a couple more thoughts before we get into the episode. I just like that they make this... They just continue to make the station feel so lived in to me. Like, Kira and Jadzia are spending a lot of time together. They're doing hollow sweet things. Like, it just shows how good their friendship is. Bashir and O'Brien are hanging out at Quark's per usual. Um, although I do think it's funny that like the Quark is like freaking out about the the Klingons being there, and O'Brien's like trying to calm him down, being like, "That's just fine." And like O'Brien's not usually the one to be calming everyone down. He's usually the one that's freaking out the most. <laughs> um, I also found it to be funny that Odo like decided that he needs to pretend to be like participating in meals when he hangs out with his friends like he refills his little like rectagino type drink or whatever he's pretending to drink and i think it's cute that he's trying to do this but i also think it's for his benefit i don't think anyone that like is friends with odo needs him to pretend to be eating <laughs> yeah like, i would i would like, agree with that's that that's weird <laughs> it's like you go to a bar and one person has like a lemonade or like a ginger ale or something and it's fine you don't have to always participate in everything like i wouldn't think it's weird he says yeah he says he does it to give the illusion that he's sharing in the dining experience which i think like for obviously this is broad because there's a lot of different um species and such in deep space nine but for like you know humanity at large including humanoid species all that um dining together is something quite specific um, so I can understand why he would want to be a part of that, even though we're saying like his friends wouldn't care, but there's a lot of people that just come through Cork's bar. So they probably want to, it's probably comforting to them to know that like the cop eats food. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I didn't think it's like it a very, like, um, the non like humanizing uh, activity. Someone taking time yeah. to enjoy food. <laughs> well, and that whole idea of like sharing, like the communal experience of like sharing like a meal or sharing food or beverage is, is a bit of like, actually now, you know, you, you mentioned that Melissa and we're, we're talking about it. Um, it's kind of a th reoccurring device um, throughout the episode. Right. Cause we have, you know, Cisco cooking for Cassidy and has her over and obviously their relationship still going on. And it's a, a really cute scene that, does some table setting for, you know, things later in terms of what's being retrofit, um, but also just kind of establishes that 
the Ben and Cassidy relationship has progressed since we we last saw them. Um, mm-hmm. We have these, you know, the scenes in Quark. We have Garrick and Odo talking, as we've just been talked about here. But then once Worf's on the station and he doesn't, his plan A to get information to what the Klingons are doing doesn't work. He goes to plan B and finds an old friend of his dad and they drink enormous amounts of blood wine together mm-hmm. and sing songs and just, you know, bro out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's it's they're not eating, but it's a similar sort of vibe that kind of, communal food or drink sharing experience i kind of wish we were having this conversation over a meal or drinks right now that would be really nice i could eat <laughs> i actually haven't eaten yet today which is probably bad because it's 1 30 overall i would just say that while i think within the episode most of the klingons are acting really stupid and dumb um and i it doesn't make much sense to me um it puts them on my tv screen more so i'm happy (laughs) i just think that they like are acting kind of ridiculous in this episode but like i'm trying to not let it bother me too much because i enjoy when they're on screen that's all is this the so the klingons show up is this the first time we're meeting martok i don't recall yes it is it's that's correct cool martok is a character that i really enjoy um a lot and we get more of him over the seasons so that's exciting well and and it's like just not to go like too deep on like behind the scenes like writers room breaking breaking story stuff but like they wanted to do something big that changed the the status quo of the universe um going into season four um they had an original idea for you know, a, a two-parter to open the season that ended up not being this, but it is a two-parter that happens later in the season um, that we can can talk about when we get there. Um, but originally they were talking about the Vulcans leaving the Federation as being, you know, the big thing, like the Klingons ending the peace treaty, um, sort of galactic level, changing the status quo equivalent. Um, and they talked about it more, and then they thought about you know, bringing Worf on. And then because they're bringing Worf on, it went the idea to, um, what's it called? To like change the status quo with the Klingons. So instead of the Vulcans leaving the Federation, you have the Klingons basically returning to their original role in the universe from, I would say from 2003, from original show in, in 66, 67, 68. Um, but I think Michael Dorn summarized this episode the best Michael Dorn playing as the actor who plays Worf that's saying quote the Klingons had finally gone nuts basically (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I definitely would agree with that but it just it works I had forgotten that this big of a falling out had happened in this episode that was one thing I definitely didn't remember I always think of Deep Space Nine as having to kind of make up new conflicts because like, as if they were, like, not allowed to touch, like, the original stuff, the original stories and things. So I, I kind of had forgotten that this whole episode happens and that, you know, Gowron's like, okay, well, fuck the Kidamur records. <laughs> like, I just didn't remember that such a big thing occurs here for the Star Trek world, like, at large, really. Well, and what's interesting is they'd only been the Kinemore Accords, like, 
from a real world production standpoint since 91 when you like you see that in the final um tos movie where they signed that peace treaty like the peace treaty had existed like in like early tng but they didn't like again they hadn't really like flushed out what it was and it's right. like at some points like are they a part of the federation aren't they now blah 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 but it's like hey that thing you just saw happening 80 years before in in a movie well it's gone now <laughs> Yeah. So, Melissa, I don't think you've seen Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is my favorite Star Trek film. No. But basically, it's it's like the story of how the peace treaty happened okay. between the two species. So it's like it had, as Matt said, it had come out like four years before this um, episode, but it TOS is like 100 years, 80, 80 years in the past. So it's like feels very... A very big deal even though probably because me i didn't watch i mean i saw the movie when it came out but like i didn't watch tng bless you or, or deep space nine back then so like it, i wonder how it felt to someone who watched all of those things like as they happened i'm sure people were mad about it yeah people always mad <laughs> that's true <laughs> i wonder if i was watching this like i don't remember what happened when i watched this for the first time like if i was mad yeah well let's put it this way this was like this is what 95 this is Mm -hmm. when i particularly remember starting to watch ds9 like regularly so Mm. i would have been nine and like i remember like watching part of the pilot before i had to go to bed and catching the odd episode and talking about um, the pilot with my f- friend on the school bus, Brian, and telling who got to watch all of the pilot, and he was like, thought Odo was a ghost, um, not a shapeshifter, because <laughs> that, that flail or whatever goes through I him. Mean, he's like, oh, he survives, but he's a ghost. Um, got, gotta love nine-year-olds. Like, that's so cute. <laughs> well, no, this was before, so this would have been, we would have been, like, what, six or seven. Oh, um, that's adorable. But, yeah, so, like, the, so, like, Worf coming on and me having watched more, like, tng this was also like they they got me and i mean part of it's because you know i when i was younger you'd have less control or you know less desire to you know catch things weekly but yeah this like 95 was when i remember starting because wharf was on it and it's like the big media blitz around it where like i really started like watching deep space nine intentionally instead of just like kind of catching it when it was on and then right yeah not to I mean, yes, we're getting personal on this episode. Elise's uh, uh, <laughs> 1995 associations. Um, but yeah, like 95, 96 is like really when I remember like starting to like follow film, like 96 specifically. And like when I could like, I started watching or being interested in watching movies that weren't just like, quote unquote, didn't be, weren't perceived as like kids movies. Like, right. I distinctly remember like watching Mars Attacks and, uh, that thing you do, which I think are both 95 or 96 um, as mm. like, not like star Wars, star Trek, Indiana Jones, like, you know, movies. It's like, Oh, these are real movies. Like, you know, so. <laughs> and 90, like remembering 90, Oscar conversations and all that stuff. 1995 um, April was also the, in a, my bat mitzvah. So just to like give context, that, cause I was a little bit older um, but I definitely, I'm sure my mom was watching this and I'm sure I was making fun of her. 1995 <laughs> April, um, is when I got a little sister. Hmm. Momentous times. Very exciting times for young um, Melissa. <laughs> I don't even really times. actually remember Kelsey being born. 
Yeah, I don't remember my sister being born Eight, either. Seven, six. That you was someone like, recent... like five. Yeah, well, four. Five, four. Yeah, four. No, not to dox you. That's but... okay. <laughs> my bat mitzvah do- was actually on Melissa's birthday, so we're connected eternally. That's <laughs> true. Connected eternally. We are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really give her much choice in that, but or say or whatever. So Melissa, like you mentioned before about, you know, feeling like this was like the first time in your Deep Space Nine watch that like it really felt like the show was existing in like a a shared universe, right? Um, I'm curious how some of the Worf and Galron stuff, Galron being the, the high chance, like the leader of the Klingon Empire, how that shook out for you once he enters the episode. Like... Did you, I don't think you would have felt lost based on your previous comments, but I guess throwing out a comment on what you thought of, of Galron. Um, I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I thought about him like specifically, to be honest. Like, I don't think I have an answer to the question that you're actually asking. Um, but from like the war perspective, like even though I don't really know much about like him, his past or how Klingons are other than what's been shown in deep space nine so far, which to my memory, like isn't a super, isn't a super lot, but mostly I think that like, I really just got the sense of like how conflicted Worf is, but I didn't really, um, I didn't really pick up on anything or think too hard about anything from like the other Klingons perspective. And I think that's because of what Elise was saying earlier, which is like their decisions are bad. And so it's like, okay, (laughs) well (laughs) you're just here to conflict Worf and like be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Worf is always dealing with his connection with humans versus his Klingon. So it's always a Starfleet versus Klingon empire divided loyalties sort of identity crisis Mm -hmm. um no and it's like i think that whole arc that ds9 is picking up on here that like obviously starts and is examined through tng is like one of the kind of stronger overarching threads in next gen for a show that for a lot of its run didn't have a lot of strong overarching arching threads just because it was again very much that you know episodic like contained storytelling and like this is a couple years ago now so like i remember the podcast but i can't remember who was was saying it on the the podcast who the guest was at the time but i remember listening to a women at warp episode that was talking about Worf, and they were talking about and again the the history of like klingon makeup is complicated and, and problematic because it's essentially blackface um, or brownface in the in the 60s um yep. but but the idea of even some of the ostra the ostracization ostracization the sense of feeling ostracized um that that war feels from klingon culture isn't even like yes it's he's been raised by humans yes he's a starfleet officer but there's even like elements of shadism that you can read into that or even just like all out, like, you know, full on racism where like Worf is played by a black actor. So he's a black Klingon and people like Martok and Galron are white Klingons because they're played by white people and the powers they hold and kind of like the different dynamics there and adding these like 
complex levels of identity. Um, so yeah, like if, if you wanted to, and if any listeners are, haven't really gone back and are interested in seeing more of Worf's history, like anything, look at anything that has to do with kind of, um, the Worf Duras arcs and the Klingon civil war arcs and things like that from, from TNG and even kind of curate yourself a little like mini series kind of Worf one one Cause I think it's, it's well worth exploring. And even like Galron's arc. Um, I think Galron gets, uh, this isn't a, great word to use but i'm gonna use it anyways because i can't think of another one because i need to finish my coffee more but like <laughs> galron gets crazier and crazier i think as it goes yeah. like alice is like pretty like rah, 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 like like almost yeah. seems like comical and not super stable in this like episode compared to like the shrewd politician he's introduced as right yeah, I definitely think he leans into the, like, I'm going to act the most bananas I can, the actor. Yeah. Um, and I will say also to reiterate, to kind of second what you were saying about if you wanted to do a little Worf um, history lesson with TNG, his storylines were often my favorite in TNG. So I think that is a good use of someone's time if they were interested in doing that. But if you plan on watching TNG in general, then, you know, you could also just do that. I uh, I have a friend who's, like, one of their main fandoms is, like, everything to do with Sherlock Holmes. So they were over the other day, and I showed them the Elementary Dear Data episode, and it was, like, oh, nice. a really fun experience. I'm just talking about going back to TNG because, again, it's like I'm revisiting Star Trek. I'm sharing that. But they really did their homework on the home stuff. So like, oh, this is really similar. So and so's portrayal of homes and the the BBC Granada Productions films. Well, so it's just like it was a whole different level of like co-nerding out, and it was great. That's cute, Melissa. Did you have any plans to watch TNG? Um, not. I don't it's have okay a not. specific plan. <laughs> I um, Ben just rewatched every Star Trek. And mm. all the Star Trek that isn't Deep Space Nine is like on our list of shows to watch once we finish ER finally, but that's like 15 seasons. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's like 35 seasons worth of like Star Trek or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, like, eventually, but I mean, since the ties <laughs> are so tight to Deep Space Nine, or I guess, I mean, it just feels that way in this episode, maybe. I, you know, we'll see. But if if I finish Deep Space Nine and it feels like I could, you know, spend more time with some of my friends by watching TNG, like, yeah, I'll just go do that. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, if, if listeners wanted to follow along with someone watching TNG for the first time, um, the podcast within a podcast, Sam watches Star Trek with our friends at Monkey Off My Backlog. They are on TNG now, I believe, and they're they're working their way through that. So yeah, they're go check about, out. They're about to start season two. Yeah, I'm excited for it to come back because I am also doing a TNG rewatch right now, and I just started season two. Um, so basically, the whole point of this, the Klingons are coming. And at first, they're not being honest about what, why, but they think that because of the change in government on Cardassia, that the changelings are now in control of Cardassia. So they're going to go fight Cardassia because of this wild idea. Um, It's very random to me (laughs) that that is 
what's going on. I know we said, like, Michael Doran was like, they're going nuts, but I don't know if we actually said, like, why they were convinced or why they were showing up. Yeah, so Cardassia has closed its borders. No one knows why. And the Klingons have intel that the military-run government on Cardassia has been overthrown and there's a civilian government in control now and they're like, well, shit, the only way this can happen is if they weren't actually civilians, it was changeling infiltrators. So they are going to invade Cardassia to um, bring freedom and democracy. Yeah, I bet that's what... stop the Dominion threat. (laughs) Um, Okay, yeah, cool. Now you can do your your other point. I'm giving so you this, permission. <laughs> thank you. This season, as we alluded to, happens after starts after Next Generation and the first Next Generation movie, Star Trek Generations, ends, but before the 1996 second TNG movie, First Contact. Um, so the Enterprise D, the Enterprise from. The next generation was destroyed at the end of the movie, partially so they could get a new one that looked better on on the big screen and wasn't designed for the small screen, but also, you know, drama purposes. Um, so Worf's <laughs> been essentially, like, he lost his home, right? Like, this idea was his whole, like, struggling for identity and, like, you know, who he is and who he wants to be. It's, like, his constant throughout that was the enterprise and it's gone now. And so that's why he's thinking of leaving start like Starfleet. And even Cisco mentioned this, like a lot of, a lot of Worf's arc in this episode really mirrors Cisco's arc in embassy. Right. Mm-hmm. Gets this assignment is thinking of resigning. Like, you know, it's like, so there's definitely, I think some, some parallels there that you can kind of look at. Um, yeah, it's also interesting. I was reading on Memory Alpha that James Conway, who directed this episode, was on a list of possible directors to direct what was going to become First Contact, what Jonathan Frakes would end up directing. Um, but he viewed this episode as an addition for that movie to convince Rick Berman, like the Star Trek head producer, and Sherry Lansing, who was the head of Paramount at the time, that he could could direct a feature and i definitely noticed there were like several like directorial tricks and like you know different shots that you know he designed with a cinematographer and things like that it had a little bit more flourish um at times compared to like an average like 45 minute episode um but obviously it it didn't work because they gave the movie to freaks but i love that movie so i'm not too upset about that sorry to that man um that came out mean and I did not really mean it <laughs> like that. I'm sure James L. Conway is wonderful. I did really laugh at like how obvious some of the <laughs> the script or some of the dialogue is in this episode. Like Cisco is like the only people who can really handle Klingons are Klingons. Enter Worf. <laughs> um I really enjoyed the scene where Worf gets introduced to Kira and Jadzia Dax because I know I mentioned it earlier that Kira has like this headdress on and she's really awkward but the way Bashir says she's our first officer like in it almost like I'm embarrassed to be introducing everyone right now is maybe my favorite line delivery of the episode Bashir 
is just very, um, I don't know. He has a lot of weird lines in this. Poor Kira is convinced to do like one silly thing in her life. Yes, exactly. And And she gets caught, basically. Never again will I have a fun. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, you always like say what I'm thinking in like a quicker way and so i appreciate you thank you that was all i was trying to say was that like you know i'm sure julian knows that like oh kira is not gonna love this. <laughs> yeah yes like his like his like reaction is almost like on behalf of kira mm-hmm. like because he's like i know she's mortified right now what if kira yells at me because of this <laughs> <laughs> I um I liked that so much had happened even before Worf shows up that when when Martok comes to like get mad at Worf for like I guess yelling at his son or whatever um he was like why why are you dishonoring me and like at the first time I rewatched this like a couple weeks ago I was kind of worried it was going to be like a laundry list of things that happened on TNG Similar to how Gowron later says, like, all these things from earlier. But I was really happy that, like, so much had happened in the episode that, like, Worf just gives, like, a long list of shit that he has a problem with. And we got to watch all of those things happen. So that kind of made me... Like, they were pulling from within the episode and not making it too heavily um, based on previous lore and stuff. Yeah, I like that, too. Because... It's easy. It's easy to f- to follow when you're new, like me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree. What do we think about Jadzia introducing Worf to her um, bat lift skills? I loved it. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated when he was like he he Worf assumed it was Curzon's program, but like she was like, no, it's mine. I th- I honestly think that Kira, oh, sorry Kira, that Dax is more experienced in dealing with Klingons than Worf is, <laughs> honestly. From all the stories we've heard of Curzon, I mean, she does give him that idea to go talk to like a family friend to like get got to get it in a more like low key gossip, get the information in like a low key gossipy way, and I just think like that would not have occurred to Worf at all, otherwise. Yeah, I like, and I think this goes back to like the whole idea of like at this point in his life, and even like previously, um, Worf learned how to be a learned how to be a quote unquote good Klingon through books, not lived experience, right? So he's very much like letter of the law versus spirit of the law, sort of like holds himself up to this like idealized standard that a lot of other Klingons don't um whereas Jedzy in this case and then Dax Curzon having that other kind of maybe more face-to-face kind of live time the fact that like you know he was part of the blood oath with um Kang about Kang's son and was Kang's son's godfather and all of that has that more lived experience with Klingon culture whereas Worf growing up sought that but it was more of like an academic pursuit than anything right 
I felt a couple times during this episode that they had scenes that were there just to like fill time a little bit and that is not something that I say lightly and I also don't think it ruined the episode for me. Yeah, but they were all good, right? Like even that, like one of the scenes that gets cut that I actually really liked, it's um, in the, the two-part edit versus the, the feature-length right. edit, um, was the first holodeck scene in those baths on Trill between Jadzia and Kira. And Kira's like, oh, this is dumb. I'll actually go see the real bass, maybe, but we're just in quarks, you know? That's a photon. That's a light puppet, you know, not a not a masseuse that's not an actual, you know, human that's going to give you a happy ending or whatever they're <laughs> looking for in those baths. Um, again, Hollow Sweets coded as, you know, the brothels of the bar. Yes. Of the whole Western town setting. Um, and there's this great line where Jadzia says to, to Kira, well, just use your imagination. Didn't you use your imagination as oh a kid? Oh, my God, yeah. And Kira's like, yeah, I used to imagine that the Cardassians would stop killing all my friends and family and leave my world and like and then Jed Z is immediately like oh my god I'm so sorry. <laughs> like but like that's a really real like again to pick up in your your universal use of the word human earlier mm-hmm. Marissa, that's a very like real human moment where like you can't see where like again Jed Z is not a bad person again has had a much different more privileged upbringing than Kira did and then makes it's like oh we're friends we've had the same lived experience and then they have it right and again it's not the whole point of the episode it's just that gentle correction and then they they go on with the thing but i just thought again that's a scene that they very like you can very easily cut and was cut um for the like the two-part syndicated edit but i still think it's a really good scene right and the other really good scene that they added because they felt that for the feature length it was running a bit short was the whole Garrick and Quark root beer discussion, right? And there was a a back and forth in the way in which I think it was Conway as the director wanted um, Andrew Robinson and Armin Shimmerman to play it as more comedic, and they fought for it not to be because it wasn't comedic to them, and it even like went up to like the writers' rooms and like Ira Stephen Bear didn't think the show should be comedic. He said, quote, it was never meant as a joke. It was two aliens giving their individual viewpoints on what it was like to live under the Federation. They have serious problems with the whole Federation philosophy and the fact it's such a behemoth organization. But at the same time, even though they question the giants, they want the giant on their side when they're in trouble. Um, Which I think is one, that whole exchange of the insidiousness of root beer um, <laughs> as an allegory for the Federation. Yeah, so once you is have at it its a bunch, core, you start to like it. <laughs> at, at its core is like, I think one of the greatest critiques of the imperialism that is Starfleet, that is the Federation that we've talked about for three now going on four seasons of this show, um, where it's like, do you spend, like, Obviously, I say in the intro that Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek series, um, but it's quiet character moments like this that I think lifted above pretty much any of the other series. Like, at least, you know, before modern Star Trek. Like, in modern Star Trek, I still think I'd put Deep Space Nine, I'd hold it up amongst anything that's, like, you know, come out since 2017, but... I agree with you. I could also, also just be an old middle-aged fuddy-duddy. But also that neither of the scenes that you referred to were what I was going to talk about. 
Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, I mostly found the conversation between Odo and Worf about it was supposed to be a scene where like Worf is waffling about like what to do. Like, does he tell Cisco that he knows that they're that the Klingons are going to um, attack Cardassia, or does he keep it to himself? Um, I found that scene a bit tedious because I think I thought it could have honestly been portrayed even without a dialogue. But Odo tells Worth that he owes Cisco an explanation, and I don't. I fundamentally do not agree with that. If he had said, like, Starfleet, maybe, or even, like, a commenting on, like, a chain of command, but didn't Worf and Sisko just, like, meet for the first time? Like, he doesn't owe him anything. I don't know. I guess it's supposed to imply Starfleet, but he specifically said Sisko, and I just thought that was weird. But that's just, like, a dia- like a weird dialogue thing. I don't think... I'm sure I'm overthinking it. Melissa, thoughts? Um, I didn't really think too much of it because this just seems like what people who serve in Starfleet would be like. <laughs> right. That's fair. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. I ag- I agree. I mean, maybe they were worried that people wouldn't, like, follow Worf's motivations because I agree that, like, this is just spelling out a lot of what I think could be implicitly understood about his decision making. Right. And then I think also, too, they they know that they're making Worf a regular character. So, like, it's also probably table setting for Odo and Worf's relationship, right? That's probably true as well. Because you have to, like, on the other show, Worf had Odo's job or a version of Odo's job, right? So they're not, yeah, they're they're table setting for that, too. Like, again, it's... I similarly, does that made me... think of Worf's first interaction with Quark as well um and basically Quark is judging his ordering of um prune juice which is really funny um and I honestly besides that I don't actually remember how Quark and Worf interact going forward um I'm just looking forward to that (laughs) is all I wanted to say because I love both of them so much I'm just laughing. Like, I feel like I'm at an awkward pace today. I think we'd be remiss, and I don't know if we have to spend, like, a lot of time on it, but Ducat is such a, Gal Ducat is such a, like, slippery politician that, like, he was one of the big wigs in the old government, and now he's, like, roped himself into, you know, this military advisor mm-hmm. position. <laughs> to the new government. It's just, like, eye roll. I love that they actually, like, spelled out in the dialogue of the script. Like, oh, you mean you felt the wind turn and you changed sides? Yes. Like, that is who you are as a person. (laughs) Yes. I love when Cisco just, like, tells Ducat, like, what he's trying to, like, the information that Ducat's trying to, like, hide or whatever. It's just, it's so good. Um, I love, I think that this is, like, later in the episode, but Dax and Cisco end up, like, betting on how bad Ducat's attitude's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so fun. That was the second bet suggestion of the episode. That's really funny. Too. Like, Cork wanted to bet, like, on the drills. <laughs> or wanted people at the bar to bet on, like, the drills at the beginning of that. Episode. Oh, like, yeah, and I remember being like, oh, good. Cork gonna cork. <laughs> 
He has yeah. to. He has to. Um, I did really enjoy that. That um, the complaint, <laughs> like if, if he was gonna complain or thank you first. That that was very amazing. when they figure out like oh you know we our hands are tied like the Federation can't warn Cardassia about this um, mm-hmm. how are we going to how are we going to warn them so then they call in Garrick to do a fitting on Cisco and they're just gonna talk <laughs> about it while he's in there knowing <laughs> like, he would go tell Cardassia loophole. Yes. <laughs> There is an episode of New Girl where for a season long, sorry, New Girl spoilers, for a season long, (laughs) she has had feelings for Schmidt and she has told Jess that she is not allowed to tell Schmidt about the feelings no matter what. And Jessica has gotten in trouble with all of her friends for meddling before. And this is a later season. So she's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not meddling. But it gets to the point where like she has to. And also... Nick Miller cannot lie. He can't keep secrets in New Girls. So when it comes to the point where, like, she has to tell Schmidt about Cece's feelings, she's like, loophole, Nick. (laughs) Cece is in love with Schmidt. (laughs) And it's like they hardly even bother with, like, using the whole Nick will tell a secret thing because, like, Schmidt is standing right there and, like, hears it. But that is just so clearly the exact plot of this Tuesday's night moment. <laughs> I could really not believe it. <laughs> that is really identical. It's the season four finale, episode 22. It's called Clean Break. It's a great episode of the show. Um, la- New Girl is no longer on Netflix. You'll have to go to Hulu. As I'm laughing that I am hysterical that you were like doing a little promo for New Girl. That's very you. I but love I New Girl. I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing because they're both season four episodes. Um, and like, this isn't a stretch. And <laughs> this is the same plot. <laughs> no, it really, it really is. And then I had a third thing, but I forgot what it was that I was going to say. Maybe later. Okay. I have a poll for the room, even though we're in three different rooms. <laughs> Do you like root beer? Um, I don't drink a lot of soda, but I don't dislike root beer. If I was like yeah, going to a root beer stand, I would get a root beer float. Right. Yeah, it's I enjoy it once in a while. Like if you're going to AMW or whatever, like particularly or whatever, it wouldn't be like my first choice, but it's nice yeah. for change once in a while. Yeah, I, I I enjoy root beer, but I am probably someone who orders it like like a when in Rome situation. Like if you go to AMW or here we have Stewart's. Like, if you're going to a specific root beer type place. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot of battle scenes and explosions in this episode, which was kind of well, fun. Spoilers, all those things in the, uh, in the, uh, what's it called? In the cargo bays that Cassie was like, oh, what's going on? They've been beefing up DS9's, like, security system. Yes. It also feels very much that the budget increased for the show. Um, I don't know that if that's true or not, but they it this episode felt a lot more expensive than previous episodes, for sure. It was really amusing to me to see um, Gold Ducat and Garrick like on the same team for once. Yeah. Um, in her in her podcast Discord, um, friend of the pod Lazi 
posted a like a screenshot of them when they they're both holding the phasers out to the Klingons, and Lassie was like, "This is the original." Never thought I'd fight. Uh, I'd die fighting side by side with an elf picture, and I just like really lost it because it really. Garrick literally says side by side in the scene, so it just really did bring up those Lord of the Rings memories for me. Um, do do do. Lots of fighting. There's so much fighting at the end of this episode that it almost hit like the action movie thing where I'm like getting lost and not paying attention. <laughs> Uh, like, yeah, oh, sorry, I we're, st- we're still fighting. Not... We're still fighting. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. It really did take up a... It was like 20 minutes of fighting, it felt like. Um, but I think that's kind of fun for which, like, like, a looks... premiere. Like, look at us. Action set pieces. Exciting. Right. Stakes. Right. I definitely tuned it out a little on my second watch, the, the action parts. Um, but I also was trying to get, like, my notes done. So it wasn't fully because I was, like, bored or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just I was trying to, like, hurry it along. They're still doing the blood screenings on everyone, just in case. <laughs> just in case the Klingons are right. <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny that. De- oh, sorry, go you ahead. go first. No, you go first. I was going to change the subject. No, I was going to say during like the battle scenes, battle scenes, the effects department used like model kits, the toys, and the Hallmark Bird of Prey Christmas ornaments in background, so they oh, didn't have to funny. build more more models like themselves, like studio quality models. They just used all, like the commercial model kits and toys, and like I said, the ornaments um, to keep production costs down. And then when one of the toy ships was required to explode, they filled it with explosives and party glitter. Oh. So you <laughs> see, like the like the glitter is like the debris, and the glitter is still oh, there. Oh, so it's like a practical day. effect. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And then they hired um, illustrator John Eves um, in the highest between seasons three and four to design several new Klingon ships to be depicted in this episode. He drew a bunch of concepts based on existing models, you know, various alterations. However, due to budgetary constraints, none of these designs were ever used, and so they reused the model for the Negvar. Um, Elise, you might have recognized it from the TNG finale, All Good Things, that like is the future Klingon ships. Um, okay, that was meant to be recall, a one-off but... thing, but right. but they used that and and brought it in. And again, that's probably um, could have been my nominee for most Star Trek thing. Um, <laughs> Pulled something and also, from a movie, yeah. Or, well, even it, so, like, these illustrations for John Eves, um, I think a lot of them got pulled out for Klingon ships in Enterprise later on. Oh, okay. Which is kind of funny, because he's drawing like 24th century yeah. ships that end up being for 200 years earlier, but, yeah. you know, that's fine. Yeah, Melissa, I don't know if you are, like, whenever we talk about a different show, I, I just want to make sure that you and our listeners who haven't watched all, every single Star Trek, I don't want... I don't want us to be talking above people. So I just wanted to reiterate that Enterprise takes place like 100-ish years before the original series. So about 200 years before this time. Yeah, I I need those reminders because I have discussed the Star Trek timeline multiple times. But that that knowledge has not cemented into my brain yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I totally get that. Which is why I always like to reiterate these things. Well, we've been talking for, you know, a little over an hour, and I don't know about you two, but I'm feeling a little parched. I'm feeling a little thirsty. So it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. 
um, Melissa as the guests will throw to you. Who are you thirsting for this oh, week? Oh, um, Dax and Worf having a fight and her, like, giving him advice about using the hollow suite and just, like, in this situation in general. Like, I loved that so much. Thirsty. Um, I also enjoyed when Worf was having a fight with one of the other Klingons. Uh, they said, like, you'll have nothing after this. And he's like, I'll have my honor. Hot. <laughs> Elise, what about you? Um, I was really into um, Cassidy making out with Ben when she didn't know if she was going to see him ever again. <laughs> I was like, get it, girl. What about you? I really liked their dinner date nearing the, the beginning of the episode and when he's all like, oh, maybe I should go for a baseball game. And she's like, oh, can I come? I'll take you yeah. there, too. I just thought that, that was, like, super cute. And then, I don't know, Jedzia. I've said Jedzia and Daxer. I meant um, Jedzia and, and Dax and Kira just – I like their chemistry. You could like, yeah, it's mostly platonic, but is that just history calling them best friends, roommates? Yeah. I, oh. <laughs> can I just say also that I really enjoyed Cassidy and Ben's outfits on their date. Um, Cassidy was so dressed up. Like that almost looked like a bridesmaid's dress. And <laughs> I enjoyed Benjamin's like miss, like mixed pattern usage. <laughs> and waistcoat waistcoats are good is not is Jadzia and Kira something that you like always look for their scenes like do you, are you like a shipper of them am I outing you as a shipper I guess you added yourself but I don't know I don't really have like any like ships that I like specifically ship like I have no problem with shipping but I mean just it's not really your thing Online shipping culture is none of my business. That's fair. Most oh. of my ships are canon anyway, usually, so I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel ever. And yeah, again, to, to reiterate, there's like, I support shipping. Oh, um, yeah, that was like obvious. One of those weirdo, like, gatekeepy freaks or whatever. It's just like, I don't know. I try to stay in my own lane and avoid the uh, Tumblr wars as, as much as possible. <laughs> that is fair. So, if I may, I'll start with my candidate for most Star Trek thing. Um, it was the scene in Quarks with O'Brien and Worf where it's like, oh, remember best remember best of both worlds? Oh, remember the Three Musketeers weirdo program that Barkley had? Remember this thing that happened? Remember how we couldn't keep the holodecks working? Um, that's fun because it's like, hey, remember this thing that where on Star Trek they're talking about a thing that already happened on Star Trek. My favorite example of that being in... Star Trek for the voyage home. There's literally a scene where a bunch of characters are watching a scene from the previous movie. <laughs> yes. um, it's one of my favorite things when they watch and or talk about previous Star Trek on Star Trek, but also the idea that O'Brien and Worf are friends and friends enough to like hang out and catch up like off screen like that uh, or catch off on screen like that. Cause I don't know if I've ever, if before that they'd ever, we'd seen them hang out together. Yeah, this was very, like, those two dudes have met, so we're going to pretend they were friends the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I I really enjoyed that, too. Melissa, did you have a most Star Trek thing? I know you mentioned before your other one, but do you have an additional one? Yeah, we already kind of talked about it. Um, I think I'm going to stay with that one. I don't know. Nothing else really stands out to me specifically as, like, Star Trek-y from my limited but growing Star Trek experience. Uh Uh-huh. What about you, Elise? 
Mine is another dialogue that I felt like could have, it didn't need to be in the episode at all. But um, basically when Bashir's like, remember this thing from the past where the Romulans said we shouldn't use the alpha, the cloaking device in the alpha quadrant? Like, that felt to me like, yeah, we're no, we know we're putting something in this episode that like we previously said shouldn't be done. Please don't write us any letters about this because we know. So we're going to put a note in the episode. <laughs> um, it just felt like very preemptive, like making sure someone didn't write in to say that they're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. um, I just also felt it was very um, Star Trek to have like the captain be very heavy handed on like in giving advice to someone like he was obviously trying to convince Worf to stay very, very hard hmm. um, and used his own experience from what we saw in the pilot, as you mentioned earlier, um, Matt, it just felt like so heavy handed. And then I was like, you know what? This just felt really, really Star Trek. I think captains, I guess, do that a lot. All right. Well, until next time, Melissa, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mel Yellow and co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Great. Elise, what about you? You can find me at twi- on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraft at chicken double underscore tendi. That's T-E-N-D-I. And you, Matt? Yeah, I can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace, and you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again, this time kind of in person, to our editor, mm-hmm. Melissa, and to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye.